Thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. If you have not, be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight, where we have some amazing merch and plenty of other things for you guys. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Finish the fight, a gaming podcast. I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I'm your host, Derek Baker. And today we're talking about the rage inducing, the hair pulling, the tears, a crying falling down those faces, some of our favorite and possibly hardest boss fights out there. We had talked a bit about, like, hey, bosses really don't get enough credit at times. Like, some of them are like better than the protagonist and kind of sell the game that way. So, we're going to be talking about our top five for either of us going through this. And this really came about after talking about the Batman um, Arkham Asylum episode, because one of the biggest criticisms for that game was the boss fights, that they followed too uh, formulaic of a system. And really thinking about that, it's like, okay, well, there are a ton of games that really do that, at least for me, a ton of games that do that. It's really hard to be too critical of another game that does it specifically for that. But mm-hmm. what are some games that did go outside the box in that regard and, and make a really iconic boss fight? Yeah. And so we're going to break that down today. Each of our top fives we go through. And I'll go ahead and start it off. You have to, when you're talking about boss battles, bring up something within Dark Souls. You, you can't not do it. And I want to start with one of the most iconic ones from the first game, and that is the Ornstein and Smaug, Smaug battle, where you are fighting two bosses at once that complement each other. One is slow and powerful. One is quick and kind of precise. And when you kill one of them, the other absorbs their power, brings that health bar back, and you have to fight that one as well. It becomes... One of those fights, like very many Dark Souls fights, that is a surprise, brings extra elements to it, that makes you change up your strategy immediately, and it sets off such a cool dichotomy of bosses in the later Soulsborne games. You know, and we see even nods to these guys in later ones just because of how much within Dark Souls that really carried a lot of weight into the later games. Yeah, and that's definitely a mechanic that I think has gotten reused since then by other Mm -hmm. franchises. It really is a fascinating thing to have to deal with because you're so used to this overpowered boss, sure, and they're sort of, they've got an upper hand on you, but trying to fight two at once is hard enough to begin with. Trying to fight two that are totally different stylistically and having to constantly go back and forth between what works and what doesn't is a really good element to have to utilize in boss fights because 
especially for a game where you are a certain class of role player, mm-hmm. you have to play to both strengths and you can't go too heavy in one way because then you have this other type of boss that's going to smack you down. And it, I think it keeps players honest when you have that sort of threat from the bosses. Yes, and, and it definitely does. And it definitely is one of those fights where it takes a lot of that learning curve to be like, okay, which one do I want to kill? Because I want to focus on more of that combat style in the end of it versus having the superpowered one that I'm not good against. So yeah. you kind of have to like play between those strengths. Absolutely. That's a good one to kick it off. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with a, I think, a game that has a lot of iconic boss fights just because the stakes were so high in the Mm -hmm. God of War series. But I'm going to go with the uh, new sort of reinvented God of War and go with the final fight against Baldur. Now, Baldur is a character that approaches at the beginning of the game, and immediately you can tell that he's different he brings a different thread he knows who you are he kind of kicks off the events of the entire game the thing with balder is that he is impervious to pain he he can't die and so by the time that you fight him in the end you're dealing with basically a supernatural force that it doesn't matter how much damage you inflict he's able to recover and heal And you have to figure out a way to make him mortal again in the midst of this fight. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think makes it a lot of fun in that you do have to give it your all in this fight. You're so used to playing and basically being able to mow through as many enemies as you can just by overpowering them, just being this, this force that just beats them down. But you can't do that in this fight. And that's what makes it really unique and definitely a different style um, for the God of War series. But a really fun fight. Um, there's a lot of story elements that go into it as well that I think make it really rewarding. Next up, I have another God on the list. Uh, I am talking about Hades from the namesake Hades. So this is your dad as you play as Zagreus. Uh, fighting through the bowels of the underworld, um, eventually coming to fight your dad. So not only <laughs> is it a fun boss fight, it is that like, listen, dad, I'm old enough to go see my mom on the surface. And it's a cool fight because it is a multi-tiered fight. It uses a lot of the different elements that you've faced throughout your different traverses through the different areas of the underworld and then as you fight your dad and if you beat him or not you're sent back down to just repeat it over and over again but it is fun because now you can play it be like hey i know your moves i know what i can kind of do to try and do this and the way he gloats when he beats you is just fantastic it's just that dad talking down like son shouldn't have challenged me type thing and and it really overall Hades is such a fantastic game. I'm excited for the next one, but this boss battle for sure definitely challenges you, gets you into that mindset of playing the game and it's it's fun even though you play it several times, it's fun each time. And those god battles are just so fun because it's like 
when you know about those old mythologies, Greek mythology or, or Norse mythology, there's this hierarchy of gods that are just better than other ones. And so mm-hmm. it's fun when you're finally going up against those ones that are just on another level for whatever reason. And I feel like it's a consistency in the God of War series as well that you really do feel like when you're, you're fighting a big bad God. I mean, even the little things I've seen from Ragnarok that I haven't played yet, you know, show Thor being a level up from Balder, who was this really iconic fight, in my opinion, as well. To have mm-hmm. something cool like that in Hades is really neat, too. It's awesome. Next up, I'm going to head over to a Nintendo Classic. And this one is one that really shocked me, I think, when I was a kid. This is more of a nostalgia pick for me, but I think that it's an iconic fight, if you will, and that is against Red in Pokemon Gold and Silver. So in Mm. Red and Blue, I think maybe you were taken aback when you finally defeated the champion. And then your rival blue is the actual real champion that you have to go and fight after you beat Lance, the Dragon Master. Well, this first game comes out. It's a true sequel to Red and Blue. You play through Gold and Silver. It's got a lot of the same elements. You get to uh, battle your rival. You know, you beat him at every turn. But he doesn't become the champion like Blue does. You actually beat him before you go and fight the champion who is now... Lance at this point, who's someone that's helped you throughout. So it's sort of like, okay, well, I fought all the people from the first game that really were like these big main antagonists, Mm -hmm. but you have one final challenge to go and climb this mountain that exists between Kanto and Johto. And when you get to the top, it's actually just you from the first game. And you have to get into a battle with that person who's now, you know, obviously you remember them from the first game because you were them. They've got Pikachu. They've got the evolved versions of the three starters. I think they've got a Snorlax. And then they've got mm-hmm. an evolved Eeveelution as well. And it's the first battle that ever takes place. He's got Pokemon in the level 70s and the 80s, like 20 levels above anybody that you were fighting before that. So... For me, that one really took me off guard and was just so much fun. Such a great throwback, even as a kid. Yeah, I'm going to take us over to another Nintendo property. Um, One that, Derek, I think if you asked me my top thousand and you try to guess them, you wouldn't get it. Um, (laughs) This is, of course, Wizpig from Diddy Kong Racing. Wow. Now that (laughs) is a great pick. That's a good pick. It's so good. The bosses in this were so interesting. Like all the bosses in Diddy Kong Racing were interesting because one, they do use rubber banding against you the the further on you go. So they'll do more to that. Wizpig would just straight up cheat. And so you'd have to face him twice, once on dry land and then once in space. And it is insane. You'll have to like perfect your boosting. You'll have to perfect basically your drifts and how you can like manage your cart or whatever you're flying or, or your hovercrafting, whatever you're using. You have to have it down pat because these this type of race without glitches or exploits, it's like down to the wire. Like it's like right behind you, even if like you were racing perfectly. Um, so it's 
fun. It's a cool end of the game. It's a cool end to like the culmination of like unlocking characters in Diddy Kong Racing and you know playing more of it. Uh, and it just it always sticks in my head for whatever reason. Yeah, the Whizpig one is great. It it has that extra element when you finally race him because you've raced these like big monster things before, right? But then Whizpig rolls around like lightning fills the sky, and mm-hmm. you've been seeing his face everywhere. And then you finally get to race him, and it's like being chased by like Godzilla or King Kong or something, essentially. Yep. Yeah, it's 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 definitely fun. It's a game everyone should play. So go play it. Next up on my list for iconic boss battles is Demise from Skyward Sword. And the reason that I'm picking this one as opposed to other uh, Legend of Zelda battles is because it's the first one that I feel like really makes you use the Wii controls in full in that game. Um, You've learned to like use the sword and the shield and how to cut. You have to cut in certain directions. This is the mm-hmm. one that finally forces you to tie everything together to use the shield to basically get openings within the game. And it feels like a real sword fight to me, not just like a gimmicky find it, you know, find the opening when the opening's there. It's about creating mm-hmm. your own openings and actually finding an opportunity to strike back and and to me it felt like the most real one-on-one sword fight. Sure. In that game. And I think that's what makes it really cool because that was a game that finally, the most obvious thing with the Wii was get the Wii remote and make that the sword. Well, then you had Twilight Princess, which was a great game. But I think that people wanted more in terms of what the Wii remote would do and how it would respond by using it as the sword itself. And so to be able to finally do that, I'll, I'll always remember that and look fondly on that. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And I, I mean, when we're talking about like iconic things, either shifted, like you're talking about like sword fighting or jumping over to Dark Souls, like making the bosses tough. What Halo did... I'm counting this as a boss fight because you felt like a badass boss when you're doing it. And that is, of course, the end of Halo when you're doing the Warthog run. Oh, yeah. And when you got the music blaring, you've got the ring exploding, you're driving around. And this is on any of the Warthog runs because they're all fantastic. But you just feel that like as you're going through this explosions happening floods exploding you just 
it solidifies everything the game was doing and making you this cool badass, making you with this cool music, this amazing soundtrack pushing it. Again, fight me if you want to call this not a boss fight. It's the end of a game. You die if you don't finish in time. I call it a boss fight. So I mean, it's, this is the pillar of autumn is the boss, right? In that scenario, it's true. It's true. You're trying to, to get out of there before it explodes. So it technically counts. Technically, a thing that's going to attack you if you don't do it. <laughs> so and that or Halo Three, like getting off, like it's amazing. So yeah, because. The issue I have is the for me, for me, the Halo bosses throughout the series were fine. I don't count them as like good boss fights. I, I think the best ones in Halo 2, but like they're all okay. But the run is really what makes you feel like accomplished, solidified that you fought the whole boss of the Covenant, some might say, in that game. And I... I think maybe the best one that's like a more traditional boss fight from that one is like when the Arbiter fights the uh, the Blasphemer guy. The heretic what? one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the heretic. I, I think that's a pretty good classic fight if you had to pick one. But for the most part, they're so like, just dump ammo into everything, yes. you know? Like you the ones against the in- actual prophets feel really just, just- annoying. They're pretty weak. Just get behind him and punch him a bunch, which is satisfying. But it's really, for me, until Infinite, that you get a true boss fight because Halo 4 and Halo 5, spoiler, your ending is just the Call of Duty hold up while Master Chief moves. (laughs) It's like the end (laughs) of the games. But then Infinite, like it's still filling up with ammo, but there's still more strategy in the multitude of bosses that you do fight. And they do feel life or death against these brutes versus yeah. some of the other brutes that you fought in the previous games, the prophets, like you said, the heretic, um, even talking about like guilty spark as a quote unquote, somewhat boss. Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely up there, but for me, my true boss is my driving skills and I have to fight <laughs> against those. Well, especially with that e-brake on nonstop in the first one. Yep. Just slip sliding everywhere. Beautiful. All right, I'm going to wrap up my uh, Nintendo picks with one more, and this Mm -hmm. is the Bowser from the first Paper Mario. Ooh, yes, yes, yes. Now, this one is really great to me um, because it's another good wrap-up of everything that I think makes those first games just like making you use all the tools available at your disposal. And I, I think mm-hmm. that it's a it's like more of a true RPG ending and that once you do this final Bowser fight, like you can't go back and do anything else in the end game anymore, which is kind of a disappointment. But I find the fight with Bowser so satisfying because at the very beginning of the game, you fight him and you can't even hurt him in any way. But after going on this yes. journey and powering up, you're finally able to do damage to him. And the fights in that first Paper Mario are all really good to me. They've got a little bit of like timing button mashing stuff mm-hmm, going on mm-hmm. as well. But then they also have the decision making process. You have your companions with you too. And Bowser actually feels legitimately powerful. Whereas I feel like in some of the other Bowser fights, it doesn't really feel so much like a fight, it feels more like a 
run around and avoid dying until you get an opportunity to like jump on his head or something like that. Whereas this one, it is a true back and forth between the two. And so that's why it stands out to me. Yeah, I'll just interject with this too. I I think the first Paper Mario, the one for the N64, probably has one of the most varied bosses in terms of how to defeat them, what possibilities you have, what weaknesses they have. And it forces you to change your companions out to like counteract some of those bosses, whether you just earned that companion or whether they are um, from previous, like you've, you've upgraded them. That, that Paper Mario is hands down the best. Nothing rivals it. And to have those, the variety in the boss battles, like you said, you fight Bowser at the start whenever he gets the star rod and he just dominates you. Like you can't do anything. Yep. And yeah, all those boss fights in that game, you, you have certain elements where it's like, okay, I have to fight. I, I need to attack this one's knee or leg or something. Mm-hmm. Like there's that machine where it's basically the fake Ninja Turtle Koopas have all like joined together and made like a Power Ranger type Megazord machine. Yeah. And you got to like hop on all these different parts of it and break it down and then like fight the turtles, you know, the Koopas. Um, just a lot of like really fun boss battles in that, but it's so good. I love that game so much that I would absolutely love a remaster of, but we shall see. Well, I don't know yeah. if you saw, but they're doing Super Mario RPG remastered. I did. I did see it. I'm excited for that. Hopefully Paper Mario follows soon. Now to wrap up my side of the bosses, none of mine were really the big end gamers. I, 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 those bosses for me are typically lackluster. It's typically you fought these other bosses in between when you weren't as powerful. It required a little bit more. And it always seems for a lot of games, the last boss is a gimme. It's a, hey, you beat it. Go ahead and do the same things you did before. You win. Congrats. I like bosses that have ingenuity, have a bit more to them. And that's why, like, for me, my top boss is Psychomantis from Metal Gear Solid. Now, this is a boss that wasn't super strong, wasn't a big old beefcake, didn't have, like, a big armada, but it exploited the psychosis of you in real life. You know, this was one of the first times, and this has gone down in gaming history, of this boss could read your memory card. And if you had like Sony games, it would be like, oh, I see you've been playing Tomb Raider. Oh, I see you've put this many hours into this. And like crazy stuff, because you were never told any of this. Psychomantis is a side boss. It's just a, a boss that's there. It's not a main boss with it. It's insane. It can force you to switch controller slots. Your controller could just stop working. So you got to go into slot two. And that is such a creative way to keep a player engaged in boss fights they may not be enjoying, or maybe it's a, a lull in the game. This just takes it up a huge notch and makes it so cool to engage in the hardware that way and to engage in the like, you know, hitting you with that psychic attack of like, I know what you play. Oh, you've been playing that game. That's pretty weird. It's like, why do you know these things? It's, it, that's such a cool concept for a character. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's definitely one of those things where you're, you're in you're inciting a real panic in the player. Yes. It's one of those really truly like visceral responses to that when it says, "Oh, your controller's not working and you got to like 
run over to your console for the first time and switch it, you know, mm-hmm. from that point on, you're like, this is different. This is intense. Yeah. It just, it just changes it up. And like, that's why, like, again, for me, that's the type of boss I want. I need something to challenge me that challenges the way you play that keeps you on your toes. And it's not just the same like button mash till it's done or like shield block and then dodge it and go. It, it, it takes so much more to that. Yeah. No, I, I think that's pretty much a perfect candidate. I'm going to wrap mine up now with this fight takes place depending on the ending that you have for Ghost of Tsushima. Mm, okay. You have two pathways. You, you've taken the path of the ghost, which is very anti-samurai. Samurai, they want to face their opponents head on with respect and you know, no tricks or anything like that. The issue was, of course, in Ghost of Tsushima, the enemy doesn't care about any of that, will resort to tricks, will take advantage of this respect mentality that the samurai have, because at the end of the day, if they're alive, they won, right? Like, maybe you have your respect, Mm -hmm. and you died respectfully and honorably in your code, but you still died. So, to pay for your crimes... Your uncle has to come and basically strip you of your title, strip you of your land, Mm -hmm. strip you of your role as a samurai. You're basically to be banished. You're a criminal, probably is supposed to kill you. I don't remember. But he basically asks you uh, to honor him in the samurai way, to fight him. And you can choose to fight him and give him an honorable death because he mm-hmm. knows that he's going to lose to you. Or you could choose to walk away, which is, in his eyes, dishonorable. And he's, you know, going to come after you as a result. The canon ending, of course, is the honorable one, where you have to kill this guy who is essentially your father. And it just wraps up this really emotional inner turmoil that, Jin Sakai has had throughout this entire game. And it's the culmination of a lot of different things that have happened. You know, of course, stopping Koten Khan, um, who is the guy who would resort to anything to beat you. But then having, after that fight, one more true one on one samurai fight against the person who taught you how to be a samurai and, and taught you everything you know, to have to fight him and kill him is a really emotional moment in the game. And on top of that, it's another in a long series of very rewarding one-on-one samurai fights in Ghost of Tsushima. And if you haven't played that game, you just got to play it. Like, it's, it's so cool, those samurai fights. If you love, like, those cool one-on-one style fights, like, Ghost of Tsushima gives you that and gives you more and then even more when you think you don't want more, but you did. Ooh. Well, might just have to get back to it with that. I, that's one game that has just stayed on my radar forever. I love it. It's, it's such cool art style. It's such a cool concept in the fight. And I think it's a great way to wrap this up. I, th- I think that's such a great, unique boss fight that is one you don't want to take per se. Like, cause like, even though you said you walk away, you still got to do it in this way. And it, it sucks. And that's what it should be. It should be pulling those heartstrings, pulling the story together and, you know, 
maybe we were the bad guys all along. Maybe we were. Anyway, guys, that wraps up our top five apiece or top ten boss battles. Do you agree? Disagree? What other bosses should we throw in the ring? Is there any other games that you think is just like, hey, this whole thing's a boss battle. Take it or leave it. Let us know. Hit us up in the socials and uh, we'll get that Discord going. All right, guys. Take care. This has been fun. Excited to hear what you guys have to say. Of course, there will be a little Q&A as there are in a lot of episodes, um, if you listen to this on Spotify and you can respond to us directly there, or of course, join our Discord. Talk to us. Absolutely. All right, guys. Have a beautiful one. See ya. See ya.